Hi, my name is Pastor Paul Goddard, and I would like to welcome you to the Sunday Sermon podcast series from Bethel Assembly of God. In these podcasts, we will be sharing our Sunday morning messages so that you can keep up with all the teachings that are going on here at Bethel. We want to invite you to join us in person on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 6029 Lapeer Road in Burton, Michigan. Bethel Assembly of God, we are a family. And as family, we grow. And as family, we go. I hope this message blesses and encourages you. Thank you. I want to get right into the word today. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. So is everybody busy preparing for Christmas right now? No? Me, medium, medium Christmas preparation? So I come from a, a big family, and Christmas preparation started very early, very, very early, because we had to make sure everything was ready. So many, many times we would begin shopping for presents and gifts, and we'd start deal watching months before, before anybody was going to unwrap a present. We were deal watching. And we, we began planning Christmas breakfast. We do this now, too. We actually, just yesterday, Laura and I were talking about what we're going to have for breakfast on Christmas. We didn't eat breakfast yesterday, but we're talking about what we're going to eat for breakfast on Christmas, and then maybe, maybe Christmas lunch, or we plan that all-day Christmas snacking tray that just kind of sits out and everybody grazes as they go throughout their day. And, and, you, and your Christmas dinner, me being a, being a cook, uh, the menu is a big deal. So it requires a lot of preparation for me. And those of you who don't like a messy house, I know you're not forgetting about cleaning and getting ready for your guests or anybody who may show up. If you, It's time to dust everything, vacuum every room, and if you have one, it's time to change the sheets on the guest bed, finally. Christmas is all about preparation. It's why we get so many people the day of Christmas or the day after Christmas, they get in this kind of depression and funk because they've spent all this time preparing for something and maybe it didn't live up to their expectations. They, they got to Christmas and what they thought was going to be fantastic and bright and happy ended up just being another day with some presents in it. Another day where your kids are fighting each other. An, another day where you still had to do dishes. It didn't quite line up. We get busy around this holiday season as we get go in our preparation. It's, I want to remind us that God took time to prepare for Christmas as well. Bible scholars have roughly calculated that the amount of time that passed between Adam and Jesus' birth, remember, God's in preparation, 3,974 years, 6 months, and 10 days. That's a rough estimate. The 10 days is it? probably moved a little bit. Christmas is about preparation. It's about recognizing the importance of the waiting on the arrival of Jesus on this earth. It's about preparing our hearts, our minds, getting our souls ready for that. Now, throughout Scripture, there are signs that have pointed to Jesus as, as coming as the Messiah. And in preparation for this, I want, over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to talk about some of those different signs, such as the Star of Bethlehem, the manger, swaddling clothes, 
the gifts of the Magi and, and the virgin birth. And I want to start this week by talking about the star and what it represents. Um, as you can see, we have a lot of stars around here. I want to, real quick, before I forget, um, everybody make sure afterwards you find Gail. She's right over here. You find Gail and just let her know how great a job she and her family did in decorating the church. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Um, but if you have your Bibles today, I want to talk about the star. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, um, right at the beginning, verses 1 and 10. And it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The Gospel of Matthew is where we find the only reference in the Bible to the wise men who came looking for Jesus. And it's, it's, it's strange for us because we think that the account of Christmas and the account in all the Gospels should be the same. But we have to remember that of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had specific ideas that they wanted to impart, that they were inspired by God to let us know. And Matthew was most likely writing to Jewish Christians and interested Jews of their time. And as the Gospel pulls from many Old Testament prophecies to explain who Jesus is. Um, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it says about this, numerous textual indications point to an author who was a Jewish Christian writing for Christians of similar background. The Gospel according to Matthew consequently emphasizes Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and his role as a new lawgiver whose divine mission was confirmed by repeated miracles. So, growing, growing up, you know, we call them wise men. And, you know, we have the song. We have We Three Kings. We have the wise men. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers the California Raisins Christmas special, but that was my favorite version, was the California Raisins singing We Three Kings. It was terrible, and I loved it. Um, but there's a footnote attached in most scriptures that when it says wise men, it says magi. And a magi is a term used for a class of priestly men who came out of Persia. And in Matthew 2.2 says, wise men from the east. Robert Hampshire, uh, a historian, writes, because of their knowledge and influence, 
Magi also served as political advisors and kingmakers. This was not something new to Persia. This was not something new actually even in the Bible because they show up in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5, Daniel is actually appointed to be the head of all the Magi in Persia. This isn't something new. And these men functioned as philosophers, astronomers, advisors, teachers, and they did this all in service to a king. It was their job. Knowing the background of this, when you, when you read this, it's a lot less mysterious why Matthew would include this part in sharing this. Matthew begins his gospel for a Jewish audience with the royal genealogy of Jesus. In the story of the Magi, he shows that Gentile kingmakers even recognized Jesus as the rightful king in the line of Judah, fulfilling prophecy. He was the true king of the Jews. So, in, in our church, in church tradition, our oldest feasts, our oldest celebrations are Easter and Christmas. And after that is one called Epiphany. And Epiphany, again, is something that we don't always recognize or celebrate in evangelical churches and Pentecostal churches. But Epiphany, it's also called Theophany, or Three Kings Day. And it's from the Greek word epiphania, which means manifestation. And in this today, when we start talking about the star and the wise men being guided by it, we, we get to see three different manifestations of Jesus. We get to see Jesus manifested as a king. We get to see Jesus manifested for the first time to the Gentiles. And we also start seeing the roots of the manifestation of his divinity as God. Epiphany, like I mentioned Advent last week, gets lost in the shuffle of our busy Christmas calendar because Epiphany happens after Christmas. Twelve days after Christmas. So if you ever wondered how we got twelve days of Christmas, there you go. We have to slow ourselves down and take the time to notice the signs and the manifestations that the star led the Magi to. The first is this. When we want to talk about Jesus was born as a king. Now, the Bible is full of verses that describe Jesus. There's tons of different words to describe him, who he is, what he's like, and love he has for each of us. There are also many names for Jesus. We call him the Son of Man, Son of God, Emmanuel, Messiah, Prince of Peace, Alpha and Omega, the Way, and many more. And although Jesus came to earth as a humble servant, he was really, he was born the King of Kings. So we're having some technical difficulties, so I'm just going to take him out of the equation for now. We got this. Don't worry about it, guys. It's nothing our tech people are doing. They're doing great. It's the technology itself. It doesn't want to cooperate. So, Jesus, first and foremost, came as a king. You know, he, he was born in very humble, very humble circumstances, but he was born a king. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's why it's important that we recognize that Jesus first came as a king. The Magi didn't travel a thousand miles to meet a friend. They didn't travel and search the skies for the signs of a mere teacher or prophet. They set out not to just find a king, but the king. The manifestation of Jesus as king is really hard for the Western church to wrap our heads around because we don't have kings. Nothing close. We don't have anything close to a king in our nation. We choose our leaders. We elect them. And when they no longer make us happy, we get new leaders. That's, that's the way our system works. That's the way if you grew up and you were taught in schools, you were taught this is the way we pick our leaders. So the concept of a king who has absolute authority is, is very foreign to us because our concept of kings and royalty is very warped. It's, it's either comes from Disney movies where we look at Disney princesses and, and their evil stepmothers and their, their dopey, wonderful king fathers or it, it's the Queen of England. And, and those are our two kind of how we look at royalty and where we get our pictures from. So it's hard for us to really give that, give that up. It leads us to a struggle in surrender, in bowing down and in giving full authority over our lives and our choices to someone who's not ourselves, someone who maybe we didn't pick out to be in charge. But Jesus first, before anything else, came as a king. And this is where we trip up. We often want Jesus as our savior. We love Jesus the baby. Jesus the baby who came to Mary to be the savior of the world. And the king of the universe. We often want the savior without the king. We want to dissect the different parts of Jesus and pick which ones we want. In order for Jesus to be our Savior, in order for you to get that life abundant that he wants you to have, Jesus has to be king as well. He can't just be Savior. He has to be your king as well. We have to make sure that we're preparing our hearts, not just for the arrival of our Savior, but for the arrival of the king as well. Someone that we are turning our lives over to. Someone we are turning our will over to. The second thing is this. The second manifestation is the manifestation to the Gentiles. Now, often I would, I would ask this to kids and say, do you know what a Gentile is? And they'd all go, no. So I would ask them, I said, okay, and you can do this if you want. Is anybody in here born a Jew or have Jewish heritage? Somewhere down the line. Okay, I got one person raise their hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a Gentile. There we go. That's it. A Gentile is just somebody who is not a Jew. That is it. Um, but the star that the Magi followed, the star of Bethlehem, 
It's not a random detail that Matthew decided to add. It was very important because who remembers uh, Balaam and his talking donkey? This is one of my favorite stories because it always seemed so ridiculous as a child. And now, unfortunately, because of Shrek, every time somebody talks about Balaam and the talking donkey, I hear Eddie Murphy um, speaking the words of Balaam the donkey to Shrek. And it makes me laugh and smile. But Balaam, who he was, he was a Gentile. And he wasn't just a Gentile, he was a Gentile diviner. And what a diviner was, was kind of a mix of sorcerer and a mix of fortune teller and all these different things. So Balaam was not even a Gentile who was serving God. He was just a Gentile. And he got paid to curse the Israelites. But his donkey refused to help him in his endeavor. And he actually spoke to Balaam. And Balaam ended up not cursing the Israelites. Instead, he began to prophesy blessings over them. In Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through 17, it says this about Balaam. It says, And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. This prophecy contained here is, it's important to the Israelites and early Christians because, because it's really the first direct mention of the Messiah outside of the Garden of Eden. And where does it come from? It comes from a Gentile. It comes from someone who is not a Jew, who is not one of God's chosen people. Prophesies about this. It was so important that Balaam's prophecy was quoted often in the Qumran schools. It was found in 1947, and depictions of Balaam and his star are also seen carved into the walls of early Christian catacombs in Rome. It was a big deal. In this catacomb of Priscilla and Rome, it's a slab covering the grave of a person named Severa. And on this slab, it, there's, a, there's a picture, a carving of three magi bringing the gifts to the baby Jesus and his mother. And behind Mary and Jesus, pointing to a star, is a depiction of Balaam. Balaam, a Gentile, prophesied the star that would lead to the king. And it was Gentiles who observed the star and followed it. God calls all people to himself. His call to the Gentiles to follow Jesus came as early as the star. The third manifestation we get around Epiphany and, and Three Kings Day and what we see is that there's a manifestation of divinity that is associated with it. We have to keep in mind who Jesus was before he was born. He was the creator of all things. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He was and is the Holy One of Israel. When the Son of God condescended to be born 
of a mortal woman, he submitted himself to the frailness of humanity. The sicknesses, the injuries, the emotions, Jesus gave himself to be fully human. And these frailties came from his birth as Mary's son, the human part of him. But because his father was God, Jesus was born fully God as well. He was God in the flesh. These powers enabled him to accomplish miracles, signs, wonders, the atonement, resurrection, all of which are signs of his divinity. We, we see this evidence in many miracles that Jesus performed, but specifically in the miracle at the wedding of Cana, a miracle where Jesus turned the lack of people into God's plenty, a miracle that helped celebrate the coming together of the bride and the groom. It was a miracle that foreshadowed the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation 19. it's important to note that when Jesus came as a baby and the star guided the Magi to him, remember, these aren't just wise men. They're not just scholars. And I, I remember as a kid, we were taught that's what they were. They, they were just, they were wise men. They were smart. They were educated. They were learners. They were teachers. They were like professors. But they were so much more. They were kingmakers. They weren't believers in God. They were Gentiles. But they were also the spiritual leaders of their nation. And it was the Magi who recognized the importance of Jesus' birth. Not only as a fulfillment of prophecy, but a fulfillment of the arrival of the Son of God here on earth. And we also see this not only in Jesus' miracles, but we see this divinity associated with Jesus in his baptism as well. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When the wise men came, when the Magi came to visit Jesus, Herod commanded them to come back when they were done and let him know where they were. Herod told them he also wanted to meet this king and wanted to worship him. The Magi, however, as in a divine appointment in a dream, were told by God not to go back to Herod, but to go back a different way. God spoke to them even though they were not believers, even though they were not Jews. He spoke to them because of the divinity 
of Jesus, because of Jesus' position. And he spoke to them. The star of Bethlehem was a guide to guide us to a king, to the king. It was a prophecy from a Gentile showing us that Jesus came for all and the signs to follow his arrival to show us his divine nature. And we have, to, we have to take a look at when we talk about these things at Christmas time because we've relegated them to postcards and greeting cards and decorations. And there's so much more, and there's so much more powerful symbols. Um, when I came here, in here after Gail decorated, I laughed because there were so many stars up. And she had no idea. She had no idea uh, that this is what I was going to lead with. And... I, I walked in, I was like, perfect, because I was going to get a really big star, and then I didn't have to get a really big star, because we already have one. We have to take a look at what, what we're being told in these stories, what we're being told by the history that's in the Bible. As we prepare our hearts for Christmas this season, we need to, to challenge ourselves in three ways, in the three ways that Epiphany represents Christ, and how we can live them out in our own lives. First, when I talk about Jesus as a king, we're called to bow down and surrender our whole lives to King Jesus. Not select parts, not the easy things, but the whole of our existence. This Christmas, as, as, you're, as you're decorating, as you're wrapping presents, as you're getting ready and you're preparing, why don't you spend time meditating on this and, and really what part of your life do you need to lay down at the feet of King Jesus? Secondly, as a savior to all, Jesus' arrival on earth was heralded a new beginning for humanity where we could all be reconciled to the Father. And not just a select group of us through select processes and practices, but with that came the gift of Jesus as a bridge to reconnect us with God in a way that we could not have imagined or that we could achieve through the law or on our own accord. This Christmas season, I want you to think about how you can be a light that shines in the dark for the lost and broken world to see. Finally, as someone who exhibits divine nature. Now, I'm not asking you to be divine but you can still exhibit the nature of God through your life. Throughout his ministry, Jesus met people where they were at. He met the sick, the lonely, the hopeless, the hungry. Jesus met them where they were at. No matter their station in life, no matter their class in society, not even racial divides and ancient hatreds, hatreds stopped Jesus from finding people who needed him where they were. I believe God asks us to do the same thing, to exhibit that divine nature that Jesus did. Where, where is God asking you to go? Maybe not even physically, maybe spiritually. Where is God asking you to go? Who is God asking you to meet? I want to challenge us to pray this season for divine appointments. Appointments for us to be able to interact and intersect with people who need the love of God, who need to hear the good news and the hope that Christmas brings.
This Christmas, I want to challenge you guys to slow it down. I know you still have Christmas parties to go to. You still have family celebrations. None of that's going to change. I'm not asking you to. But in your quiet times with God, in your times when you're praying, when you're reading your Bible, pull back the throttle a little bit and spend more time dwelling with God than just reading about him. Look for that quiet voice that we talked about last week to hear from. Enjoy the season. Love your family, love your friends, do some good, but most importantly, let's take the time to think and pray on what these different, different signs we're talking about, about what these different things teach us about Jesus, about who he is, and about what it means to have him in our lives and how we should relate to him and live for him. You could all bow your heads as we pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord, for everything that he represents, everything that his birth represents. Father, that he came, that he chose to come because he knew your heart and he knew your desire to reconnect with your children and your creation. Father, I pray that this season and beyond that we carry that hope with us that we recognize your son as the king, that we surrender the parts of our lives we don't want to, the things that are harmful for us, we give to you. And we seek to thrive and live abundantly with King Jesus reigning in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we find ways to speak the good news of Jesus' birth everywhere, everywhere we go, every opportunity we get. That we get to shout it from our rooftops that Jesus is Savior for all, that he came for all, that he loves all. And finally, God, help us to exhibit your divine nature in our lives, the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the love. Let us see those in need and find them where they are at. Thank you for joining us here today on the Bethel Sermon Series podcast. We want to invite you to join us in person at 6029 Lapeer Road on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also find out more information on our Facebook page or go to our website at www.bethelfamily.live. That's www.bethelfamily.live for more information. God bless. Have a great week. Subscribe and join us back for next week. Thank you.